0: Good morning. I'm reading from the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of the righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
1: Thank you, Linda, for reading for us this morning. You most likely have gotten calls like I've gotten. They begin like this. Congratulations! You've just won a four-day, three-night stay at a luxurious resort. All you need to do is give us some information. All you need to do is be available to spend 90 minutes for a brief presentation of the greatest opportunity you might ever be given in your life. So when you get that kind of invitation, when you get that kind of offer, four days and three nights in a great resort, why do you know intuitively, why do you respond probably like I respond, and that is... I, I have no patience for that. I have no time for that, because, because you know you know what that's all about, right You know what that call or that solicitation is all about. You know that there are going to be manipulative tactics and high-pressure techniques for you while you listen to this presentation that probably will go on longer than 90 minutes. You've, you know you'll be put in a corner and, and made to feel like if you don't buy a timeshare or timeshare points, your life, as you know, it will cease to exist. You know that, right? And so there's something in you that's on guard. There's something, on, when, when you hear something that seems like too good to be true, you just kind of process, yeah, anything that seems too good to be true probably is too good to be true. Something, someone tells you, like, there, there are no downsides to this. And then, ah, I've lived for a while. I'm thinking there might be. I'm thinking there might be. You, you know that in, in the future is, like, this great, great invitation, this great, great offer is going to turn into this quick, binding, long-term commitment, a press for you to make a decision that's probably going to be pretty expensive and probably at some point along the line you're going to regret We know this, we know this intuitively and nothing about like that appeals to us. That's why when you read, when you read Psalm 23, that has this amazing picture of an amazing life that God holds out for us, it takes us to a very different world than what I just described, a world different from a telemarketer or someone trying to sell us on the greatest timeshare deal ever known to mankind. When we read Psalm 23, we feel something very, very different. There is no high pressure. Slipped into verse 3 or verse 4 is not a, but you must act now if you're going to take advantage of this kind of deal. When we read Psalm 23, we we don't sense this world is too good to be true because we know, even the psalmist writes about walking through the valley, of the shadow of death. When we read Psalm 23, we don't hear like, here's the, a simple series of next action steps. All you need to do is, that's not the language of Psalm 23. It invites you into something very differently. It's a person named King David who poetically and powerfully shares an experience of his relationship with the Lord. And this is what I'd like for us to do over the next three weeks. I'd like for us to lean in close to what David says and, like, really hear what, he, what he's saying. The Sundays leading up, up to Christmas, and, and, and a lot of this will be pretty straightforward. So there's some parts of Scripture where you're unveiling this mystery that had been hidden for a while and now is disclosed for the ages. That's not Psalm 23. And, and Psalm 23 is going to sound familiar, so the goal here will not be to try to be as novel as I can be. Not, not in this passage. As a matter of fact, I remind myself, as, as I heard Linda read the words a minute ago, the goal here is not to add to your to-do list, as if we need one more thing to add to our to-do list at Christmas time. This may be one of the only sermons that I preach intentionally trying to not tell you to do a bunch of things. I think there's a place, don't get me wrong, I think in Scripture there's a place for imperatives. I think there's a place for commands from the Lord where it tells us to do some things. And I think it's right for me to reflect those commands. But in this passage, we don't find that. That's not for today. What I want us to do is pull in close to King David, and you may have heard these words a million times. Or, or maybe there is the chance that they're pretty new to you. Let's listen as this Man reflects his experience with God in powerful images. He starts by saying, and really in a very short description, but a powerful description, he tells us, here's what the Lord is to me. Here is what the Lord is to me. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And even by using, and I don't want to just dissect every single word, but I do want to draw out from, from, this poem, all the meaning we can, when, when we realize it says the Lord is my shepherd, it's, it's like there's no term limits assigned to this. So, so there are ways we describe people of like, this is my doctor, or this is my coach, this is my CPA, this is my boss, this is my teacher— this is my supervisor, in ways we'd say, you know, while this person may be my coach now, may be my boss now, may be my teacher now, there probably is going to come a time when they're not my teacher. But when you read something like this, it's, it's asking us to lengthen our perspective. Even when we talk about, like, our people closer to us, like this person, so-and-so, is my, my spouse or my mom or my friend or my, my aunt or my uncle— This passage is telling us even to to lengthen the term of how we understand the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. As a matter of fact, the end of the psalm will talk about eternity, forever. So, what this is saying is that the Lord is and always will be our shepherd. Interesting that use of the word shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It doesn't say He's my CEO, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my assistant. The Lord is my co pilot. The Lord is my Santa Claus. The Lord is my supervisor. The Lord is my life coach. That's not the image that David is using here. He uses the imagery of a shepherd because one one thing about a shepherd is they are meant to be with their sheep. It's like together. There's no separation there. And a shepherd has to care and provide and lead and protect. He has to think about what's new and what's next and what's familiar and what's not. And the image works well because life is often a series of changes. And like we don't live life in a machine shop where everything is exactly the same and we just do the same thing every 30 minutes. That's not the way it is. So the Lord is my shepherd and that shepherd is one who's walking with me and protecting and providing and leading in a world that could be very different. The life and good of the sheep is dependent on the shepherd. If the shepherd doesn't fulfill his role well, the sheep might not make it, and they're left in a vulnerable spot. Shepherds provide and protect and they lead. And so this is what I realized this week as I was walking through this passage, looking at it word by word, is while we could say the Lord is my shepherd, the fact is you are going to fill in the blank with something, saying something or someone is my shepherd something is going to lead, something you are going to count on to provide and protect for for your life, for your well-being. It might be that you say, yeah, Curtis, I don't think I'd say the Lord is my shepherd. I'd say I am my own shepherd. I take care of what I need. I look out down the road to keep myself protected. I know how to guide my life. I am my own shepherd I count on my intuition to make sure my heart and my life are protected. Or you might say, I'm counting on someone or something, and that's my shepherd. That's what I'm placing my hope in to protect and provide for me and to lead me. I'm putting my hopes in that person or that thing or that job or or whatever. I'm counting on it, not just in a normal way of needing, needing some help in this life, but I'm counting on my ultimate hope. My ultimate deliverance is resting on that person. If they don't come through, it's over. It's over in just like my whole life will fall apart. You are counting on something. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And it may be in this room are people that have counted on themselves to be their own shepherd or look to others. Actually, you find yourself very disappointed. Because over time, maybe what you counted on, but like if I just have that, I'll be okay. Okay. Is actually falling apart. So who or what really is your shepherd? When David uses this image, that's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. He's saying that the Lord is the one who takes the initiative to look after providing for me. The Lord takes the initiative to look after my provision, to make sure I have what I need. The Lord is my shepherd, and so and so he looks after not just my provision, but also my protection. So this world is a hostile place. There are threats from without. There are even internal things, like our hearts are deceitful. Our flesh can lead us to do the things that we really, we'd say, I really don't want to do these things. I need protection. And when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, the Lord is the one I look to for my provision and the one I look to for my protection and the one I look to for my direction. The one I look to for, like, where to go? What, what's next? What, what should my life look like? We're, we're walking a real path, and, and we're walking that path ge- geographically. I mean, the Lord probably in our time is going to move us from place to place, but even over time, we're walking, some, we're walking a path, and even over time, we're spiritually walking this path with the Lord. He gives direction by acknowledging the Lord is our shepherd. Like, you cannot say that and, and really be, a right about that, really be truthful about what's going on in your heart. You can't say that unless there is this confident trust and humble submission. To say these words means you are confidently trusting that the Lord is going to provide and protect and lead you. To say these words mean you are not going to usurp the Lord's authority and put yourself in his place, but you're saying, no, no. I, I need the Lord as my shepherd. David could even say he's my shepherd. Not to overanalyze words, but... I mean, you could tap David on the shoulder and go, oh, when you said he's my shepherd, don't you mean like all the people that believe in God, that he's our shepherd? And I think David might reply, well, sure, we could say that. And that's a valid point. It's just not the point I'm trying to make here. I'm trying to say that individually... Yeah, we all gather together and say, oh, come let us adore him. But individually, each of us can individually know the Lord's care for our lives. Each of us individually can have this word on our lips, the Lord is my shepherd. For all the talk of the Lord being our shepherd, how does it actually play out in our lives? Most of us don't live in the world of sheep. I can go days, weeks without thinking about that kind of imagery. I live in the world of gadgets and microwaves and tech support and high-speed internet and stock markets. I mean, this, this is the world we live in, not so much like the pastoral rural scene where a shepherd is taking care of his sheep. So I love what David does here because basically what he tells us is here's what the Lord's shepherding looks like. So he starts off by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. But then through a series of images... He's going to unpack exactly what that means to him. And I think we can learn a lot of what the Lord's shepherding actually looks like. So one of the ways David describes that is he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's a place to to plant for a while. It's a place where sheep could be nourished. And interesting, David says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's almost as if if He didn't make me, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't even sit where I could be nourished and fed and kind of plant for a while. I don't think the imagery is that hard to, to process here. David had certainly been physically cared for by the Lord, but I also think of the depth of insight we see in David's writings. He had been to the green pastures, even spiritually. Because there are things that David writes in the book of Psalms that I don't know that any other place in Scripture quite goes where David goes. When he says, this is, I, this is who I know the Lord to be. This is how I know the Lord to care for his people. There are all these images that David piles on. There's these descriptions of, of how David thinks of God's sovereignty and God's care and God's love and it's God's salvation. God's plan over time. The truth about who man is. The truth about who what life is all about, the truth about God, the truth about human condition. It's as if David is saying, God planted me in those places. He made me plant my life in those places, and I've, I've been well fed. I think of this imagery where David can say, the Lord is my shepherd, and, and he makes me lie down in green pastures. And I'm just reminded that God the Father isn't the only one who is pictured as our shepherd in the Bible. So when Jesus comes, one of the ways he is identified, he even identifies himself as as the good shepherd. And even in scripture, he's called the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. Jesus Jesus is a shepherd who will take the people who follow him and and have them lie down, make them lie down in green pastures. So think about what Jesus taught. Think about the green pastures, So what he fed his people spiritually. Think about when he told his disciples, you know, this is going to be a world that is like clawing to get to the top. But here's the green pasture I want you to plant your life in. I want you to recognize that if you want to be great, you're meant to be the servant. Because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Live your life in that green pasture. When he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's like your life as it is, is not enough. You need something new. You need to be born from above. You need to be born anew. You must be born again. You have to have a spiritual rebirth. Or think about the stories like the the, the story of the Good Samaritan, where it shows the love and the care of our Lord, who doesn't just walk by, but, but cares for us. Or think about the warnings in some of the parables of those who weren't ready for the Lord's return. And so Jesus says, you need to be ready and I'm going to plant you in that green pasture where you can be fed. I could go hungry. I could be left to myself to wonder like, where where can I take things into my life that are true, that will last? Am I supposed to just like find some inspirational quotes? Am I supposed to look like at gossip magazines to give me like real direction in life? of how the celebrities are living their life. Maybe I ought to live my life like theirs. Is that, is that like what I'm, I, I, I have to resort to? David says, not him. So is the Lord your shepherd? Are you being made to lie down in green pastures? Since also he leads me beside still the waters, these images aren't complicated to understand. We have a place to drink. And what we're told from people who watch sheep for a living is that if the waters are all stirred up and choppy, If there's a lot going on, the sheep aren't going to drink. And David says, there are moments in my life where the Lord has brought me to a quiet place. So for a good portion of David's life, it was anything but quiet, anything but still. But he remembers those times of quiet where we take in who the Lord is, who he will be to us. We have that time to be still before the Lord. It should not surprise us that the good shepherd Jesus Christ would say something like, come to me all those who are weary and burdened down by life. And I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly at heart. And you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy. And any burden I place on you, it's a light burden. Jesus is leading us beside the still waters. Jesus is the one who knows exactly where to lead us and can even, at a moment's notice, say, peace be still, and the storm calms. The waters calm. I could remain thirsty. I could remain, like, always looking for something, trying to find something. But the Lord is my shepherd. Is the Lord our shepherd? Is the Lord your shepherd? Are you being led by still waters? He restores my soul, David also says. And the idea of restoration is that there's some sort of renewal we could be worn out and not able to go on. So physically, restoration comes often when we get something to drink or we get restoration when we have an opportunity to just rest or we sleep and we have a really, really good night's sleep and we rest really, really well. And there's something about our soul that's refreshed or, or even when we go for a long, long walk and it's just quiet and it's peaceful and we we're able to meditate and reflect and our soul is re- restored spiritually, when that moment comes when maybe it's in a song or maybe when it's just you're reading your Bible on your own and you're assured of God's truth and God's grace in a way that you've always seen it before. But it like presses in or maybe you meet with a friend and that friend gives you a word of encouragement that just seems tailor-made to that moment. Or maybe your friend gives you a word of correction and confrontation which seems tailor-made for that moment where you're able in that moment to know God cares. He restores our soul. God does this for people. David recounts all those years on the run and where life was not too stable and life was not that easy. I could imagine there would have been many times where David could have felt broken and stuck and frustrated and disappointed with where life went, but the Lord had repeatedly met him there And I think, again, of Jesus Christ, our our Savior, who offers living water to restore our soul, who offers healing to the one who had an issue of blood for years. And do you think she walked away from the Lord feeling restored? Or what about the person that heard, neither do I condemn you, go and leave your life of sin. Do you think that person felt restored? I, I think they did. When Peter was restored, when Jesus healed lepers, when he forgave sin, when he taught his disciples that Actually, those that are pure in heart, those that are poor in spirit, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, those are the ones who are blessed. Someone's looking at their life going, I'm persecuted for doing what's right. And your soul is all turned up, and then you hear the words of Jesus. Yeah, and you're blessed. You're blessed. Great is your reward in heaven. I could be. I could be broken down, and I could be hurting, and I could be exposed, and I could be vulnerable. The Lord is my shepherd. Is your your soul being restored? It says that he also leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Simple understanding is that he keeps me on the right path. He keeps me on the right path. We have places to go in our life. We're on the move and the travel isn't finished and God is still leading and he is our guide and he's doing so. And it says he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So attached to his leadership of my life, this is an amazing thing, attached to the leadership of his life is his character. He is, is what he wants for me. It arises from his heart. That's the kind of leading his, his pure, loving heart toward me, that is the kind of direction he's leading me, saying, this is the path you go down, not that one, not that one. He leads me in the right paths for his namesake. In his time, I, I can only think David walked down a lot of paths. And maybe he led the sheep down a lot of paths. And sometimes as he walked those paths in Palestine, sometimes he was walking a path of success and, and, and great enjoyment and sometimes he was walking those paths in shame and on the run. And yet even he, either way, he looks to the Lord and he says, he's the one who is leading me in these paths of righteousness. And he's doing it for his namesake. And Jesus is our good shepherd. He, he would lead, he would lead his disciples and he would tell them, you know what, this is the right path. There's a path of legalism where it's all about externals and you think you can earn your way to the Lord and his favor. That's not the path. There's no grace on that path. And then there's the, there's the other kind of side, and, and we see the path before us of like, well, I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to live by legalism. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And Jesus would say, you're here on this planet to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. There's so many wrong paths we could take. There's so many people that would call out for us to take the wrong path. And Jesus leads us on the paths of righteousness where our lives are giving glory to our Father in heaven. I could go down some dark paths. But the Lord is my shepherd. Is he your your shepherd? What, What path of life are you walking on right now? Is the Lord leading you on that path of righteousness for his name's sake? I see this description. It's a beautiful description of actually how the Lord does his shepherding. But in verse 1 is one more thing I want us to make sure we don't miss. Because we can see how the Lord shepherds us. But I want you to hear what David says when he says, and here's where my heart is with all of this. Here's where my heart is. So yes, here's what the Lord is to me. And here is how the Lord's shepherding directs my life. But But David says, not only that, but here is where my heart is. And so David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Other translations say it this way. I lack nothing. I lack nothing. Definitely doesn't mean that there weren't things that were needed. But he he never had that continual sense of like, I need it. I need it. Maybe this isn't going to come through. He didn't live in the sense that like nothing's ever quite right. His heart was in a different spot. It strikes me to say I lack nothing is, like, that's not even natural. It doesn't feel natural to me. It's, it's something you have to learn, I think, over time, of walking with the Lord. To say, I really don't lack anything. I really have everything I need. Remember, at Christmas Day, I would give presents to my, my dad and I can remember again and again him saying, what do you get for the man who has everything? And is that just a glimpse into what David is able to talk, say here? I don't lack anything. So can you say, I lack nothing? For my, for my soul to be in the right place, I don't, I don't lack anything. I think most of us, if we were honest, would say, Lord is my shepherd and I lack about 20% of what I need for my heart to be in a really good place. There's something. Seems like there's always something. I lack a relationship to go the way I need it to go. And Curtis, if I had that, then I could say, yep, me too, David. I shall not want. I lack nothing. Or if... 2019 would just be a little bit more financially securing. I could just have a little bit more. Then I really, really, I think I could say, I lack nothing. Or if there could just, this one situation would change. Now, I don't need, you know, a million situations to change. I just want one thing to change. Or if this family member's behavior or attitude or something there, if that would change... I'm not, I'm not asking for everything, but I, I don't know that I could say I lack nothing. I think I would have, if I'm honest, to say, yeah, I think there's this issue of, there's this health issue that, like, once that's resolved, I think I can go right there with David. Say, me too. I, I don't lack anything either. Where there's this emotionally emotionally challenging thing that I just need to stabilize. And once that happens, I can go, I'm good. What I have no interest in doing is like invalidating our sense of lack, your sense of lack. I think that's the way life is. I think this week we're going to be reminded of several things that will make us feel like I do lack something for my heart to be in the right place. What I am inviting us to do is listen to David and listen to him tell of hard-won contentment. It's, it's almost exactly what Paul would say later in Philippians 4, where he would say, my God supplies all my need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And because of that, I can do all things through Christ. He gives me strength. I can be on top of the world. I can have it all taken away from me. That doesn't come easy. I'm not sure we just like pull into that driveway really like overnight. Just go, oh yeah. I, I've been in a good state of my soul for a dozen years and never had one worry. I don't think it works like that. I think this afternoon you could get a text, an email, a call. that would immediately challenge whether... You could say with David, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack for nothing. But still, let's, let's sit here and recognize that because the Lord is our shepherd, shepherd what, what really do we lack? Is he providing? Is he protecting? Is he directing? We lack nothing with, the, with God. The Father is our shepherd. And we lack nothing with Jesus. The Son is our good shepherd. We can throw that word, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. And, we, and you've heard the psalm. I would guess. I don't know how many funerals I've either read it at or, or heard it read. I've heard, I've heard this passage many, many times. When I think of Jesus as the good shepherd, what it reminds me of is John ten eleven that says, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. These aren't cheap words. This isn't a cheap image that's just thrown around. Jesus Christ gives his life to be your shepherd. He gives his life so that he might make you lie down in green pastures. He gives his life so that you would know what it means for him to lead you beside the still waters. And even as he is the good shepherd, promising all these things, we're the ones that go, yeah, I don't want that care. I'm going to put him on the cross. And still on the cross, he forgives and restores and gives us new life and a new destiny. He restores our soul so we aren't left desolate. He leads us in paths of righteousness so that we don't just totally wreck our lives. And because of this, because of this, the promise of Psalm 23 is surely goodness and mercy will chase after me, will hunt me down, will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, this is your shepherd. This is the one who is protecting and providing and leading you. Let me take a moment to thank him for that, and to pray to him. Maybe for some, you're, you're not sure that you could say the Lord is your shepherd. I certainly invite you to talk to someone afterwards. Talk to you, what does it mean to know that Jesus is the good shepherd for me? Father, humble us as we submit to you being our shepherd. Encourage us as we can confidently trust in you as our good shepherd. Give us everything we need for a godly walk with you. Do this for your name's sake. I pray that we would live out the truth of the psalm in this Christmas season knowing with confidence that you are a shepherd. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.